0: Welcome to Heroin City, the podcast shining a light on women in history in all their glorious shapes and forms, efforts, eras and eras. I'm Lindsay Shaw and this is the second part of our Lady Florence Baker podcast episode with Dr Pat Shipman. The two of them have had some success with their trip. They didn't get to the source of the Nile. Not
1: unmistakably, Yes.
0: But they turn back, knowing that they've got something to talk about, that they've proven something. What was the plan at that point? Were they heading back? At this point, she's still 16,
1: 17. Yeah. They turn back, they go back down the Nile, and Sam gets in touch with one of his brothers. And I wish I saw this letter. Explains he needs some assistance, implying that he and Florence had been married in Eastern Europe, which wasn't true as far as we know, but that that would not be accepted in English society. And asking his brother to arrange for them to be married, setting foot on English soil by an archbishop, no less, which was going to ensure that it was absolutely beyond question legitimate. And his books and articles were hugely popular. He writes a wonderful adventure, and he is called upon or arranges to speak at the Royal Geographical Society one evening and give a slideshow, basically, which is full of lions and hippos and crocodiles and damning the Nile and all these wonderful things. I'll oh, bet it was a wonderful evening. And he says at the end of his presentation, I would not be here to speak to you today. I could not have done all this were it not for my lovely wife. And turns and she comes out from the wings dressed to the nines i mean just beautifully attired and the place goes nuts (laughs) i mean they are the hero and heroine of the hour they are the toast of london and anybody who thinks they might have heard something different in cairo swallows it. queen victoria is a little suspicious that this is not quite exactly the way it should be she was also a formidable lady Mm. And she thought maybe this girl who had to lie about her age to get married, she was not old enough to marry without parental consent in England, but she was married by the Archbishop and the Prince and Princess of Wales found them absolutely charming companions and people to see and dine with. Them.
0: So it was the older generation, or at least Victoria being a little judgy, which, you know, I don't yeah. think anyone a surprised by that. And his family accepted
1: her? yes. It was, I would say, a little delicate with the sister who had been raising these children for years, but Florence won her over, and it was also clear that she adored Sam and she was not some pussy at a back street, and that she was going to set up a lovely home for them in the country with a beautiful garden. And it's still there. The house and this was another one of my great strokes of luck. I ended up being in touch with a retired minister who knew the family, living family, and who took me to see the house, which has been turned into five very expensive condos. It's a beautiful house. Little bits of it are still original. The garden is gorgeous, and it's called Sanford Orley. It's not generally on the historic home tour. Because of my contact through this minister, I was able to get into one of the units and talk with people a little bit about what it was like and got a a copy of the original auction notice which was quite charming and shown the balcony where there was a, a railroad somewhat in the distance but still close enough and when the children or the grandchildren were coming to visit Sam would go out on the balcony and wave a sheet and they could see it and I could just imagine him standing there having grown older I mean that trip on the Nile would have aged anybody. Right, and especially the second one as well. We haven't really spoken about that because they were asked to
0: go back again. And this is after near-death experiences and malaria and all these things. Weren't they always ill or sickly after that?
1: Let's say it damaged their health. And he was asked to go back by the man who became Gordon of Khartoum, who was a military officer, to go back and help in putting down the slave trade on the Nile, which they had been unable to stop. You can damn the Nile, but you can't put down the slave trade. I mean, that itself is kind of crazy. But uh, Gordon paid a special visit and was surprised that Florence seemed to be party to making a decision. He wasn't asking her to go. He thought it was absolutely outrageous to ask her to go. And when eventually Sam turned down the offer, he explained that Florence felt her duty as a wife was to always be with him and take care of him. And he could not go if she could not go. And Gordon was mind blown by this. I mean, he was just aghast at the idea that a woman would get to make that kind of statement and stick by it and change Sam's mind. Because Sam liked the idea of another adventure. He always did. And how old is Sam at this point? And what year is this? It's obviously
0: late 1800s. He's
1: 35 when they meet. It's 1869 when Sam and Florence and the Prince and Princess of Wales go to Egypt and Sam is offered the appointment as Governor General of Ismailia. Gordon arrives in Khartoum at 1878. I mean, he's not a young man anymore, but he wants to go, and he's still strong, and he's still burly, Sam, and as long as he's got Florence with him, who is younger, but, you know. Yeah, so it's a good
0: 30 years on. Yeah. She's in her 40s?
1: Yes. I suspect it is not proven... Sometime in their later life together, she had a miscarriage because she unexpectedly fails to go on a less adventuresome trip with Sam because she's ill. And I think that it may have been a late pregnancy, a late baby. But they do, again, set off and go up the Nile.
0: And at this point, it's about helping to put an end to the slave trade, which is also the ivory trade and it's all connected. So we're talking about, you said 18... Seventy-eight thereabouts. Slave trade in Britain it had been abolished in 1838, but obviously yes. this is still all happening in Africa. Was it really a fool's errand? Was it ever going to be something they could accomplish?
1: I wouldn't have thought so, but I don't think a lot of things they did could have been done. So again, you it's know? that Victorian attitude. And there, there was still a Victorian empire. Sam's family made their fortune in plantations in Ceylon, mostly. And invested well and came out as wealthy. But the British Empire was everywhere.
0: Was some of what they were asked to do part of a different agenda? They did achieve a certain amount of success, but it was always undone as they moved along, wasn't it? It's they moved on and then it, everything that they tried to achieve was always undone after they'd turned their backs, which I can imagine be absolutely...
1: Yeah, this was an immense lucrative industry. Yeah. But there was also ivory. There was also gold. And places where people are exploiting those are not genteel. (laughs) Mm. So that, yes, you know, they went down the Nile and they fight a great battle and they capture a bunch of slaves and set them free and all kinds of things like that, which were absolutely heroic. But people followed behind them, starting it back up again. Mm. There was too much money involved. There were too many way stations. You know, well, you bring me this, I'll give you these. And it was a very well-organized and lucrative business. And was
0: it about a power shift? I mean, obviously, this was the mission that they were actively seeking to try and at least take chunks out of like the system, at least try yeah. and you know, start to rearrange something and put in, implement a different way of doing things. But was this something that also was about British imperialism as well at the same time? Yes, Yeah. of
1: course. And the whole business that they show in the African t- Queen movie, which is not really about them, but is about them, is about scruffy little boats plying up and down the Nile getting whatever they can wherever they can. And it astonished me, and I regard that as the flaw of my own education, that I didn't know how much the slave trade was in existence before white slavers turned up, before Europeans started going in and participating in this. It had been going for a long, long time. And it wasn't just slaves for the American South or slaves for Ceylon or Malaysia or china or wherever capturing and exploiting other people had a long and nasty history in africa but the world was very exploitative at the time
0: that was the last thing that that they did together and they they came back and it wasn't the same kind of experience as the first time around for lots of reasons because it was a different mission it was a maybe a, a, a really a mission that could never be achieved anyway in the first place. And also they were older and it wasn't ever going to be the youthful adventure that they'd had. And also, you know, there was a lot of corruption, a lot of things that, that saddened them, I think, at that point. Is that right to say?
1: Yes, I think whereas the first time there were quite a lot of Africans who dealt with them well, who were decent, honest people, and they respected and helped. And the second time they were sort of overwhelmed by the corruption and the lying and the thieving and the... Misleading events. If I put it in terms of the larger British empire, I think the early days of the British empire, many places in the world were great. They inspired people. They had standards, sometimes rather rigid ones of behavior, but on the whole, I think it benefited a lot of the colonies. Because of their organization and the infrastructure. Okay. And the honesty. Some of these people you just couldn't bribe, damn it, you know? (laughs) And by the second time around, it had all gotten tattered and sleazy, and there was a lot more corruption and a lot more of the ugliness of colonialism. Not just people thinking they were superior and acting superior, but that also meant, in time, people putting themselves up and putting the locals down, not treating them decently. Mm -hmm. intriguing them as maybe a little subhuman.
0: Do you think that's because they delved deeper because of the mission that they had this time around? Do you think it was there anyway? It's just that they didn't see it the first time around.
1: Well, they might not have seen it. Right. Or it might have been less pervasive. There might have been fewer people who thought they could get rich off a colony and fewer people who thought they could go in and bring civilization and Christian decency to these people. Right. Which is an arrogant assumption for
0: sure but and it's also not necessarily the kind of thing that sam and florence thought when they were going in the first time because it in the same way burton immersed himself in the cultures and the the ways of the people he was living with they understood that it wasn't about changing anything it was just about getting on people so that you could achieve what you wanted to achieve second time round, like you said more people realized you could take that trip because of people like burton and speak and florence and Sam so more people were venturing over there and thinking great let's see what we can get out of this yeah from her point of view at the time do you think she thought about her legacy and what she was leaving behind
1: probably not she certainly did cooperate in Sam putting them forward as the first celebrity scientist couple I mean they were in the newspapers him giving a talk and then with her to do a little you know graceful curtsy at the end or something like that sold to the public like crazy they just adored them and they were so popular and it doesn't hurt she was beautiful she dressed very well she had a necklace that several people marked on made out of lion cloth that sam made her at one point
0: such of a showman about well, both of them did provide yes. like you say
1: and there was the surprisingly real affection and devotion to each other that they had. I mean, this was what Gordon was taken aback by. Men like Sam, adventurers, soldiers, hunters, weren't tied to somebody's apron strings, but he was, and she adored him for it. And he was her hero.
0: But also vice and then, versa by the sounds of it. That- absolutely,
1: absolutely. Because she was a completely remarkable woman. I think that trip they made when they first crossed the Danube, and they're sitting hour after hour in this terrible carriage, as they say, no springs, talking in German, foreign language for him, but of course he was an educated Englishman. She knew German and Hungarian and Arabic, and you know, <laughs> and just learning how the world was for the other and being able to see the, the core of the character. It really was all about character. And
0: that's what got them through so many things. It sounds like you think that that was enough for her. She never was really bothered about the fact that she wasn't formally acknowledged for her contribution to anthropology. Or do you think that that bothered her?
1: No, I don't think it bothered her at all. I mean, she's in all of Sam's books over and over and over. And when he publishes his book about the Nile, there were two oval portraits of them looking at each other in the frontispiece of the book. Either it's a great, calm job, which I don't believe for a minute, or that's the way it was. It was always the two of them. They would get through it together. They could always get through it together. And they were both well-respected and treated fairly nicely. The Queen was a little fussy about it. but <laughs> They
0: were good friends with Bertie, as in the Prince of Wales, yes. and she was always going to find problems with any of his friends, wasn't she?
1: Yes, because he liked the ladies a lot and had numerous affairs i'm sure many more than we even know about and in fact on one occasion florence quite rightly turned him down without saying a word without saying what she thought he was up to and that she wouldn't he called on her one time when he knew sam was out which was his way of starting these affairs and she put him in the receiving room and went on folding the linens <laughs> came down after having him waited suitable time and served him tea and it was quite clear that she yep. was not going to entertain him in any other way.
0: Brilliant. If that was good enough for her and a lovely life with Sam and you paint a picture of Samford Orley where she Spent the rest of her days and part of a big family. She was quite content with that after her adventures, it sounds like. She wrote diaries, so she put it all down there and and out there. So it feels like a fitting end down in Devon that she was able to rest up a little bit. But what would you say her legacy is today? For me, her story is fascinating. It's hard to believe that that happened to one person, all of those things. But what would you say her legacy is today?
1: I think she shows us that a woman of great courage and intelligence could make options in her life at what is probably the most constricted time socially for women to have careers. And she had every disadvantage (laughs) a woman could have just about. But because of her natural abilities, her adaptability, her charm, I mean, she clearly was a charming woman. She could find a happy marriage. There's no indication that she pushed Sam to marry her. It was just to find a way to slither it through and not have her history, which seemed to be so disreputable, be widely known. You know, an adventurous, outspoken, bold woman with physical and intellectual abilities and charm and beauty, she could pull it off. I mean, if you wrote this as a novel, people would say, oh, come on, not really. No, lions, you know, kidnapped, no. But she was always pushing the boundaries. She was always daring, and it was her great good fortune to find Sam. You know, they were a pair. They were a couple in a very real sense, and I think genuinely devoted to each other. And having gone through what they went through together Mm -hmm. on the African trips, English society, playing with the children, having ponies for them to ride, whatever, was easy. And knowing you could trust somebody through the worst conditions, through the worst threats, through diseases, through... Wild animals. I mean, literally, it's, it is like a bad novel because it's so over the top. But it's true. I went and met Ann Baker when I was writing the book, who has now passed, I believe. She was the keeper of some of the more personal effects of theirs. And she was a very lovely lady, had me to tea with one of her friends. She never believed the harem story. She thought it was just nasty scandal. And obviously, Florence had never done any of that. It was unthinkable. It was certainly beyond her lifestyle or imagining or experience. Her sons, most of them, were military men and of considerable rank and very charming. And very kind.
0: She'd explained that Anne Baker had read the Morning Star book, hadn't she? Is this in the 70s? I think so, yes. And she and, married into the Baker family?
1: Yes. Okay. It was a Baker through and through.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: We had a very brief conversation about Florence's early years over tea. And I started explaining that a harem was not what one thought. And she just wasn't believing it. She was being polite, but she, she didn't believe it. And I consequently said, but of course, that probably wasn't really true. She was of a family in Eastern Europe, which she was, you know, and there were wars and there was displacement and all this other disruption, but she was not a prostitute in any sense. And Anne Baker knew what she thought a harem was and wasn't going to have it, Mm. just wasn't going to believe it. And I can't say I blame her. And the Bakers had always been highly respectful and really good people, kind, fine, upstanding people
0: it didn't fit the narrative and it's easy to just go along with what they basically had obviously put across from the moment they stepped back into they'd agreed to do that so she's upholding the family story
1: yeah the family honor and i can't say i blame she was a very nice lady (laughs) very sweet and didn't deny me access to anything she had which she could have because some of it's in the world geographical society now some of it is with the family. And even with the Royal Geographical Society materials, anybody who applies to look at it has to be okay by them, by the family. So they could have shut me down at the beginning. I certainly could have shut down any mention of, you know, particular years or particular places. And I think Ann Baker was justifiably very proud of them, very proud of the family, And of the family honour and the extraordinary things her family has done. I have
0: two questions. Obviously, you said there were rumours. What did you look at to find out about that? Discussed the Romanian part of her early life. But the specific Vidin part. Where does that section come from then in that case? Because obviously Anne Baker's book discusses the the travels, the the adventures with Sam specifically, doesn't it? Where did you go to for that section of her life?
1: Um, Some of it was in Sam's writings. The Royal Geographical has both his diaries and his books in manuscript and in final publication. And so there were things not put in the books. By and large, it was very, very close. I would go at night and read the published books in my hotel room. And then I'd go in the morning and read the diaries of the same period. The correspondence was very good. I think also there were some letters. So people knew... About Florence before they married. And then when he didn't abandon her in Cairo and came back, and had the Archbishop marry them and made her part of the Baker public performance, everybody said, Well, jolly good for her. He meant it. She wasn't just some floozy he picked up in Cairo. And I don't think she ever struck anybody as a floozy except occasionally in very peculiar circumstances when any woman who wasn't married to this man had to be a floozy
0: to do with the stigma rather than the person and and at that point took them for who they were and respected them and put anything else to the side do you think she would be happy to be remembered as this woman in history that we should look at for her ability to go on adventures but not just that thrive under adversity and push boundaries and be an outspoken, intelligent polyglot that she was. Do you think that that's something that she would be happy that we talk about? If she
1: knew it, it didn't paint her with scandal. Yes. I think really all of it was about Sam. He was her reason for living. He was her reason for adventuring. Now, she would not have been able to, but she would have gone on adventures alone, I'm sure, if she had been able to. He was everything to her and she was to him in such a true love story kind of sense. I mean, really, if I'd written this as a novel, people would be panning it. Um,
0: <laughs> They'd just say the two central figures, it's just too much.
1: they did, t- yeah. too much. I- <laughs> and the crocodiles. I mean, for God's sake.
0: Swashbuckling. Sw- no, it's just. No, no.
1: Just
0: people won't buy it. Yeah, I know. I can hear no. it. But on that tip, then, I'm going to ask you, has there ever been, apart from the African Queen, and even then it's only alluded to, it's not specifically about them, but it's based on their story, you think. Are there any other depictions in TV and film that you've ever seen of Florence? No,
1: I would love it dearly absolutely love it because I think she is a woman who would be admired and honored today as she was then. And we know a little bit more about it. I mean, I was so glad I was able to really find her family and find her and get some information. And now there's work on harems, which I wouldn't have known. I wouldn't have known how that ecosystem worked. So I think she deserves every bit of our admiration and praise. I really think she does. With my
0: producer head on here, I think it would make the most amazing, I think, series, because I think you <laughs> couldn't do it justice in an hour and a half. It just wouldn't work. So I think this is a series, at least one series, maybe more. There are some tough subjects that would have to be tackled. Imperialism, colonialism, slave trade, government, corruption, especially now with everything that's going on in the world. I think that's the reason to do it. I think these stories would have a resonance today that I think is necessary to be talked about. But how do you think it should be tackled, all these difficult subjects if there were to be a series?
1: I think straight on you know if I could have my fantasy one it would be somebody like a young Meryl Streep but there isn't a young Meryl Streep it would have to be somebody else but somebody as changeable as she is and as lovely and somebody like Russell Crowe except not Russell Crowe now Russell Crowe years ago as Sam but I really think you'd have to show all of this. I'm sure you're right. A series is a much better idea because if you put this into an hour and a half and you even throw out half of the information, it still wouldn't fit. There's too much, too many things, too many unusual places, too many cultures. I mean, if nothing else. You've got to do something about Romania and the Austrian empire and the Ottoman empire, and then all the Africans, I mean even if you leave out the interlude Central Eastern Europe, there's too much.
0: And the room for quote unquote getting it wrong is quite vast. So the research and the diligence to yeah. make that work. To honor them and their journey in the way it deserves to be honored is yeah. to get those things right.
1: You'd have to you can't pretty it up or slide over things. But I think it would make fantastic series. I'd almost leave out the statement people often make based on the true story. Well, no, I would make it the true story. Because it's all there. It's all documented. It's all there. And there's a tremendous amount of information, which I adore delving into and suddenly making connections and getting these odd leads onto things. How long did it take you to research and write? Three years, maybe. Took a lot of work, a lot of intuition, a lot of leaps and a lot of Days spent looking through records that had no bearing on the story whatsoever, but you have to go through them and make sure they don't. Or I had to anyway.
0: (laughs) Yeah, Um, you've done the legwork for everyone. Wow, it's a phenomenal book. I take my hat off to you. Endlessly fascinating. Obviously, because we're still talking about it now, and I read it a
1: couple of years ago myself. It's such a lovely story. And even when you think it's over the top, it isn't. It feels that way. It feels like it's all true. And that's what I tried to bring into the book. A lot of it is based on Sam's books or on Florence's diaries or on letters or whatever. Not because I'm too lazy to write my own dialogue, but (laughs) it has to be their voice.
0: You mentioned a few anecdotes, which are great. The necklace and a few different things. Do you have a favourite Florence anecdote?
1: Well, I think one of them is bawling out the Arab chieftain who wanted to keep her That could be such an amazing scene. In front of his very eyes, so to speak, she turns from this delicate little blonde beauty into a screaming Harriton who (laughs) doesn't want to stay after all. I love that. I think you would have to do the scene where Sam gives his first big lecture and calls her out on stage at the end. I mean, that is so indicative of their relationship to each other and... The way they genuinely thought of each other. And there's one where they capture and kill a giant crocodile, haul it up, and all the men who work for them are thrilled because they love crocodile stew. Turns out they think it's an aphrodisiac, but they also just love it. And it's cooking, and of course, it's absolutely disgusting and fatty. And crocodile hand comes up out of the pot and goes back down. And I think that's a that's a terribly evocative scene where they are confronting what life is like for the Africans. The fattiness of the crocodile is actually attractive. The oily, greasy surface of crocodile fat is so attractive because they don't get a lot of fat. I've seen myself little African kids who, as a treat, when they were working for some excavations, would be given a great big dollop of kimbo which is I'm not sure what the british equivalent is the american equivalent is crisco it's a vegetable lard
0: oh yeah yeah yeah, lard like yeah
1: tasty and icky and revolting and they just thought it was the best thing in the world because they never got anything fat
0: i mean it makes me think of maybe my mom when she was younger definitely her parents era they would have dripping on toast as a treat oh yeah right animal fat yeah lovely <laughs> yummy <laughs> But they were right in the thick of it, weren't they? They really, really got to witness firsthand life.
1: There is a scene where she witnesses the female circumcision. Still goes on, very much so. And the women who have suffered it themselves are often the ones who insist that their daughters have it. It's life-threatening. It's nasty. The whole business of female circumcision is a really ugly and ancient practice that is still with us. Nothing in her writing says that she saw it. But there is no way the Africans would have let a white man into that hut. Sam could not have seen it himself. They'd have killed him rather than have him see it. It has to have been her. I don't think anybody outside of Africa knew about it at that point either. So I think for all that there is some real affection for some of the Africans, some real comradeship and dependence, (laughs) they needed them. There was also this European or even English revulsion at some of the practices or some of the foods they were not africans <laughs> right. you know, yeah they did not become africans they lived among africans and some of them they trusted and liked and some of them they didn't but they held on to their europeanness fairly fiercely.
0: <laughs> and that must have gotten them out of the situation but also into them
1: yes the time.
0: another light-hearted question for you if she yes. were a superhero what would her
1: superpower be initially i thought adaptability that almost chameleon-like quality but i think another is the genuine charm and caring for other people you know she relates to people that she has basically nothing in common with or Mm -hmm. so little in common with and she does and she does her best to take care of them so there is that and then there is her extreme loyalty to sam which you can say well this is an adaptive reflex this who else was going to get her out of there nobody there were many many years of taking care of him trying to give him a comfortable life which got her a comfortable life as well but it certainly all of it could have been very awkward and very painful and difficult for her not having her own children being dismissed by some important segments of the aristocracy the implications of the bits of rumors that floated around And for God's sake, she went to Africa, which, you know, I now haven't gone in a good many years, but when I did, it was not a common thing for a young woman to do. And I had the advantages, at least I think they were advantages of a good education, backing from a university, being sent off with wholehearted approval and backing by my parents who might easily have said, you're not doing that.
0: And I assume that you were young at this point. And as far as like modern technology and things that were with you?
1: Nothing like a phone, camera, (laughs) binoculars. I remember I had a calculator that was very important for collecting data that my advisor actually loaned me the money to buy because it was $100 and I didn't have $100.
0: So when you picked up on Florence's story, you saw your own explorations as in that sense, you must have been drawn to her because of your own experiences.
1: Yes. One of the things that happens to Americans who go to Africa is they find themselves in situations that are just incomprehensible. Just what is going on? And why are you saying yes when you mean no? And other things like that. When I spent one season running a dig on my own, I had to get a male colleague to come and pretend to be my brother because the prevailing culture. I was in Maasai country, and no respectable unmarried woman would be traveling without a husband or a brother or a father, maybe, but just not possible. And much as I thought that was an archaic value, I wasn't going to change them. What, I think I'm going to go in and change their culture? I don't think so. And so to be respectable, we had this little fiction that he was my brother, And that was fine. But I knew I had to have a a male relative to be there. It was essential to accommodate to some extent to local customs.
0: How long was this time you spent in Africa yourself?
1: I first went in 1970 and then went almost every year in the summer. It must have been 15 or 20 years Went quite regularly, and sometimes I was sitting in a museum studying things, and sometimes I was out in the middle of no place and needed to be a little bit alert to what social customs were. And
0: then you wrote the book or took on that project later down the line. What was the trigger for
1: you to do it? I always wanted to do it. I mean, when I started reading Explorer's Tales, I just thought, wow, oh, who the hell is this woman? And how did this happen? I need to find this out. And it took a long time before I written enough and had enough confidence in my writing to say, I'm going to do it and I'm going to find out. There is a book written before mine, well before mine, called Lovers on the Nile by a journalist. I don't think he figured out, reconstructed, whatever, most of the things I did. He fell for a lot of the superficial gloss as writing, as literature. I didn't think it was a great thing, but that's where I first heard about it. And i always in the back of my mind. I just always wanted to know about Florence and Sam and just was there for a long, long time when I finally got to the point that I thought I could do it and I could get somebody to give me an advance to do it. I absolutely loved it. It's probably one of the favorite books among that I've written, doing it and finding things out and making shameless use of librarians and libraries. I can remember calling up our library here at Penn State which is a very good library and asking how you could tell nationality from a surname because I was trying to find Sass and I was trying to find it with the wrong spelling of course I mean that's the first thing and one of the librarians brilliant young man gave me some things to look at and clues that was the beginning of my tracking down her family and getting that part of the story and then Romania and <laughs> <laughs> and the revolution, and the army, and the whole thing. I mean, that just was a floodgate of wonderful information. So
0: maybe yours is the story that you write next. Maybe your adventures. Hers were far more exciting. I mean, no, whose were who's the same as Florence's? I mean, yeah. that's the thing, is that let's not compare ourselves to Florence, because we're all going to have quiet, unassuming lives in comparison. But it sounds like you've been on a, an adventure yourself, one or two, that's for sure.
1: I have. And I did fall in love with my late husband, who was in Africa for eight years before I met him, teaching at universities and medical schools. There was that flavor to it of going with somebody who is an adventurer and seeing it partly through their eyes and partly through my own, which was not at all like Florence's, but nonetheless. I'm an adventurous spirit and I'm a risk
0: taker. So for me, the idea of meeting someone Under those kind of circumstances, not that I would wish those kind of life and death moments on anyone, but it is the idea of that moment where you meet that match, that one stars align, and then you go off on countless adventures together as equals, and then you put it with the backdrop of the time that it was set. It's just a phenomenal story. And I I love that you keep bringing it back to the central love story. I love that it's about the two of them, not just individuals. yeah. Yeah,
1: and I think that's really important that he might have been many things. But he was, in fact, what he appeared to be. He was honest and decent and forthright and brave and all those other crazy things he was. And he loved her and loved her practically on sight and rescued her from, as they say, a fate worse than death. Because it probably would have been a really difficult life. And then she rescued him
0: right back, as they say. Yes. Several times.
1: And then she does. And it's the you know she won't go if I can't go and I can't go if she won't go
0: well I think that rounds us off really nicely thank you very much it's been absolutely fascinating and I thank yes. you for your time
1: well get a million dollar budget and do the film
0: and I'll come straight back to you and like I say it'll be a series because we've got to, we've got to get all oh, those uh, yeah in. yeah
1: no you can't do that in an hour or two hours well, Pat,
0: thank you so much for being here on Heroin
1: City and it's been uh, a delight I'm always happy to meet another fan of Florence.
0: <laughs> yeah, good. And that's it. And this is the thing. She inspired you. You then did the book. I read the book. And it, we'll carry on and, and make sure that she's, yeah. she's known and more people can get inspired. That's, that's the way it works, right? That would be good, yeah. So thank you for your work. And that's a personal thank you. Thank you. Hey there, just a little reminder to say don't forget to check out our other episodes of Heroin City. We've got one on Pamela Conwyn-Smith, we've got one on Bess of Hardwick, notable Northern English women and many, many more. Please subscribe and rate us wherever you listen to your podcasts. We really appreciate it and we'll see you very soon.